everyone, and welcome to Julius Eastman and His Identities, a short podcast exploration of Julius Eastman. My name is John Falkenbush, and I'm here to discuss one of my favorite musicians whose work is often overlooked and forgotten. Julius Eastman was a black gay composer and performer who wasn't afraid to put himself and his identity into his music and performances. Today, we'll be exploring Eastman's life and how his identities influenced his brilliant works and performances. So first, I'd like to start with a brief biography of Julius Eastman. Julius Eastman was born in Ithaca, New York, and grew up with his mother and younger brother. He began studying piano at age 12 and made really rapid progress. He started school at Ithaca College, but transferred to Curtis Institute of Music, where he eventually switched majors to composition and graduated in 1963. He was also known for having a rich but very flexible singing voice that he used quite a lot in performances. He began making connections in New York after his graduation with composers like Lucas Foss and Peter Krotik. With the latter, he was a founding member of the SEM Ensemble, which had its focus in performing contemporary American classical music. After about two decades of successful music making, following a lack of opportunity, Eastman fell victim to drug use. After a few years of living homeless, Eastman died alone in a hospital at age 49. Due to the loss of many of his scores following an eviction, and the vagueness of those scores left behind, revival of his music has been tough and relies on the knowledge of those who worked with him. Eastman's style is something along the lines of post-minimalism, and with the subtle evolution of themes being the entire focus of many of his pieces. Many pieces also have a relatively constant, catchy, ostinato, or chord progression that anchors the work. He described his work as organic, involving gradual accrual and accumulation, often followed by gradual disintegration. Outside of classical music, he was quite active in the New York music scene. Among other things, he played jazz with his brother quite extensively and ended up playing or singing on many experimental albums coming out of New York during his life. Perhaps the most notable examples of Eastman's identity in his music are the so-called Intrio. These three pieces, each long form and for multiple pianos, have rather explicit titles as far as classical pieces go. Respectively, they are Evil N, Crazy N, and NF. Here, N stands for the N-word. Gay Gorilla is often included in discussion of these works for good reason, as it follows the same structure and it comes from the same roots. These pieces each fall into Eastman's organic, post-minimalist style with repetitive phrases and pop influences. More importantly, these works show Eastman's comfort with being provocative and being who he was. As a black man in classical spaces titling pieces so explicitly, he was making himself known and recognizable. Each of these pieces is a letter to a stereotype or another part of Eastman himself. If he was not a gay black man, these pieces simply would not exist. The impetus behind them would not have existed, and the world would be worse off for it. 
Yonvian trios, pieces such as Feminine and Stay On It, also explore other aspects of Eastman's identity. These pieces so beautifully capture who Eastman was from the notes on the page to the titles of the works themselves. Eastman was also notorious for his performances of other people's works. His performance of Peter Maxwell Davies' Eight Songs for a Mad King is notorious and pretty much the standard recording for good reason. He perfectly navigates the strange score, and his flexible voice makes even the most awkward phrases sound feasible. Perhaps even more notorious was his performance of John Cage's songbooks, where during a particularly aleatoric section, Eastman brought up two individuals who he then undressed as part of an extensive and visceral anatomy lecture. The part that upset John Cage the most, perhaps, was Eastman's homoerotic comments that Cage just believed had no place in his music. Eastman's performances were a part of who he was. Being over the top and entirely unpredictable was a huge part of his music making, even when it wasn't his own music. Issuing the composer's original vision didn't stop Eastman from embracing who he was and what he wanted to portray. His identity bled into all parts of his music making, and he did nothing to stop it, making the music that he created distinctly his. During his time in New York, Eastman also participated in many ensembles performing experimental popular music. He was the first male vocalist in Meredith Monk's ensemble and was on the influential album Dolman Music with her. He was also a strong collaborator with Arthur Russell. With him, he conducted all of Russell's orchestral albums and was featured on his experimental disco album 2424 Music on organ and as a vocalist. When you hear him on these albums, you know it's him as he has his characteristic outstanding nature. These collaborations were very important to him and very representative of who he was. Rather than staying focused in just the contemporary classical music world, Eastman played all the music that he enjoyed performing and made his way onto many albums that are all very unique and very striking in their own rights. In each case, though, you know him when you hear him. His identity was just so outstanding that he always brought it his all into his work when it came to music. I am also recording this podcast because of the influence Eastman and his identities have had on me. I looked at Eastman for inspiration often, as his ability to be who he was in his music and in his performance is extremely inspiring to me. I just find it so wonderful that he was able to be the person he was without fear or shame. It also helps that I find his music extremely interesting, and I think many people should look to it as great examples of the beginnings of pop music inspiration in post-minimalist work. I will say that one of my favorite pieces by him is the prelude to the holy presence of Joan of Arc that is written for ten cellos. It's a powerful piece, and I just really, really find a lot of interest in that piece. Today, the quest to restore some of Eastman's music and secure his legacy is still ongoing. 
performances of his pieces are growing more frequent as more and more structured scores are released. Some scores are also still being found and restored for new performances. Many visual artists have also honored Eastman's legacy with gallery showings paired with performances of his music, as well as performances that are paired with visual elements. In bigger news, it was announced a few years ago that scores were going to be reviewed and refurbished to be published by a major music publishing company oversaw by his brother. These new and old efforts are helping to guarantee Eastman's music will live on for years into the future. And that's the end. Thank you so much for listening to me talk about one of my favorite composers for however long this ends up being. I hope you take the time to listen to some of his music and maybe grow in your own fondness for it as well. I suggest listening to the album recorded with Eastman himself, titled Unjust Malaise. It's a great listen, and includes many of his most well-known pieces. Once again, thanks so much for listening, and remember to be honest with who you are and all that you do. Thanks. Thanks.